Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. I was on a run just this past week, and I've got my headphones in, and I'm listening to it on shuffle on my phone, and uh, the great 90s classic song, Stay, by Lisa Loeb, uh, came on, and I must say, it gave me some energy, and I started running even faster. And there's this one line in the song. She says, you say, I only hear what I want to. I only hear what I want to. Uh, That is so true in the polarization that we find ourselves in here in the political climate in the United States in the fall of 2020. We only hear what we want to. No one's really listening to each other. We're just talking over each other or talking or yelling at each other. And today we're going to explore the question, is Jesus a Republican or is Jesus a Democrat? And both parties want Jesus. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. The Republicans are absolutely convinced that Jesus would be a Republican because of their values. Democrats would would say absolutely Jesus would be a Democrat because of his care and concern for the poor. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. And the interesting thing is, if you were to give me an assignment, if you were to say, John, could you come up with a sermon that would demonstrate that Jesus is in fact in line with the Republican Party and the Republican platform, I could do that. And on the other side, if you said, John, could you do a sermon that would demonstrate that Jesus' life and model and politics would align with the Democratic platform and the Democratic Party, I could do that as well. Because when you interpret the words of Jesus, when you interpret the words of Jesus through a filter uh, or through the filter of your political um, persuasion, he's so red. He's so blue. It's just crazy how often Jesus agrees with us. We said this in week one of our series, Jesus did not come to take sides. Jesus came to take over. And are you willing to, to, to follow Jesus that if following Jesus creates space between you and your political party, are you willing to take that leap? And I'm just telling you, most Christians aren't, especially in the political climate we're in now. It's so easy to be divided. It's so easy to rush to to one corner or the other corner and just assume that Jesus is on our side and against everyone else. That is not the call for us as Christ followers. And this is tough stuff, right? The last seven months, yeah, they've been difficult. Our society is in pain. People are angry. People are suffering. People are grieving. People are traumatized. And instead of bringing people together, politics and politicians are increasing the divide. We are more divided as a nation now than we have been in any other time of my own life. And it seems like dialogue is a thing of the past, that we now live in a world defined by my camp versus your camp, in or out, for or against, friend or foe, ally or enemy, and we write off the very people we're called to love as Christ followers. As Christians, yeah, we should be different. 
there's this story in the book of Joshua where God had just rescued his people Israel from Pharaoh and Moses leads them into the wilderness says let my people go and he he frees them from bondage and slavery in Egypt and they wander in the wilderness and then Moses uh, passes on and Joshua takes over as the leader of the people and God says it's time to enter into the promised land God God had given them the covenant God had given them the law and they're getting ready to enter into the promised land to take the land that belongs to them because God is on their side and check this out in Joshua 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua had the same questions that we do. God, what side are you on? And the commander of the army of the Lord says, Neither. Neither. What? We're your people. You rescued us from Pharaoh in Egypt. You gave us your law. You told us to go get the promised land. We know you're on our side. If ever there was a side to be on, it's ours. Of course you're with us. And the book of Isaiah declares that the ways of the Lord are higher than our ways. That his ways are higher than ours. They're beyond our understanding. And ain't that the truth? His ways are higher than our ways. I just don't get God. And maybe that's the point. The day that you don't get God may be the first day that you actually get God. He doesn't need to consult you. He doesn't need to run it by you. Joshua wants to know if God is a Democrat or if God is a Republican. God says neither. But, but, but there's a battle. But, but Trump is the worst. But Biden is a socialist. Hey, Joshua, you are not the commander of the Lord's army. I am. Let me put it blunt if I haven't already. If you think that a follower of Jesus has to be a Republican or a Democrat to be a Christian, then you have confused a political party with the kingdom of Christ. And you are in danger of being a puppet, not a disciple. There's this consensus especially among evangelical Christians, that if you are an evangelical Christian, you're a Republican. That you cannot be a Christian and a Democrat. And I just want to let you know, that's not true. And for some of you, that is a really hard pill to swallow. But I hope by the end of the sermon, it'll be a little bit easier uh, to swallow. But throughout this series, some have wondered where I fall on the political spectrum. Uh, that as a pastor, am I just simply neutral when it comes to politics? And of course I have opinions. I have convictions. And, and yes, I have an opinion about whether one party or the other is more aligned with the teachings of Jesus. But I will say this, no party has all the answers. No party completely aligns with the kingdom of Christ. And I, I believe this also, that, that someone who votes for the other party, whichever party that may be, 
and has different convictions as me, I believe that they can love Jesus just as much as I do, or more. There is good in the Republican Party. There is good in the Democratic Party. There is bad in the Republican Party. There is bad in the Democratic Party. Jesus transcends both, and our loyalties should be to him and him alone. Well, that verse in Joshua, that's Old Testament. Okay? That was a long time ago. Jesus definitely has a side. Uh, I disagree. Jesus isn't on our ideological sides. There's this moment in the life of Jesus that really illustrates this. A man approaches Jesus asking for help, and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And at that time, it was not uncommon for rabbis to settle family disputes um, or village disputes. And then Jesus responds to the man emphatically, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And here's the question. Why did Jesus reject this man's request for help? Why wouldn't Jesus, who possessed divine wisdom and authority to judge between these brothers, why didn't he enter into this conversation? And the answer lies in the question itself, right? The man did not ask for Jesus' help in dividing his dead father's estate. Instead, he asked Jesus to be on his side against his brother. In the man's mind, innocence and guilt were already established. He was right and his brother was wrong. The man merely wanted to use Jesus as leverage against his brother, and Jesus would have none of it. And I think oftentimes we behave like this man. We employ Jesus as a weapon against those who disagree with us. And we essentially declare, I think you're wrong, and so does Jesus. But let's call this out for what it is. It's a defensive move that keeps us from doing the hard work of self-examination, of self-critique. It quickly shuts down the inconvenient possibility that I might be wrong, or that my own perspective might be warped in some way. It also prevents me from empathizing with my opponent or recognizing any element of truth that he may or she may have. Because if God agrees with me, then I never need to change. This is arrogant. This is anti-Jesus. Like the man in our story, we often want Jesus to join our campaign, bless our agenda, defend our position, but let's remember, Jesus is king, not us. Let's remember, Jesus is commander of the Lord's army, not Joshua. We center our lives around him, not the other way around. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, says the king of kings. Jesus never fit into the categories of his day. The people were amazed because he always defied expectations of the political parties in his time. He exploded boundaries and shows us a better way. When we come to Jesus, we want to know, are you liberal or are you conservative? Are you Republican or are you Democrat? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And Jesus says, neither. The, the question is not, which side are you on? The question is, from Jesus, are you on my side? Jesus is not a Republican. Jesus is not a Democrat. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And to reduce him to a political party that will be a blip on the map of human history is downright idolatrous. Okay, 
So Jesus doesn't get caught up in the political fray. But we still have two candidates, right? Joe Biden and Donald Trump. We still have two parties, the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. We still have a choice to make. How do we move forward as Christ followers in this political, divisive climate? Three things. Write these down. Take a picture of your screen. Screenshot it. Listen, learn, love. Listen, learn, love. That's what I want you to hear today. And it's going to be incredibly hard to do. Okay, there's this scene in the movie Top Gun. Great 80s movie. One of my favorites of all time. Uh, where Tom Cruise is standing in a t-shirt and his tidy whities okay? Staring into a bathroom mirror. Reevaluating his entire life taking an honest look, perhaps for the first time in his life, taking an honest look in the mirror at the man who returns the stare. This is what I'm praying for in this series, that we could all take a long, hard look in the mirror and be open to what Jesus might want to reveal about us, about our blind spots. And this is so hard to do because where you stand depends on where you sit. Let me say that again. Where you stand, where you take a stand, depends on where you sit. Okay, where you stand, that's your political party, that's your position on social issues. We understand that. Where you sit is your cultural context. Where you live, who you're related to, how you were raised, how much money you have. That's where you sit. And where you stand depends on where you sit. It determines what you see, what you experience, how you see it, how you interpret it. And this is so true for us. This is why, if I can push you a little bit here, this is why most of us don't see a problem between our faith and our politics. None at all. You're loving this series because you've got some friends who need to hear it, right? The series isn't about you having an open mind. It's about your friends who are on the other side of the aisle who need to have an open mind. You're good. You're like, yeah, amen. I mean, if this was a, an amen church, amen, John, people need to put their, their faith first. They need to put their politics second. And that's why I'm a Republican, because when I put my faith first, clearly the Republicans are right. Others of you, amen, John, you're right. I'm with you 100%. That's, I got my faith first. That's why I'm aligned with the Democratic Party. My good friend Forrest is a lead pastor of a church and he was having a similar conversation with someone from his own congregation. And at one point the person said to him, so everything I've been taught my entire life is wrong? And my pastor friend said, I think you need to be open to that being a real possibility. Do you see how we need humility? We need a posture of listening to others. We need to listen, learn, and love. If you're scared to listen to the other side because you already know that you're 100% right and that they're 100% wrong, then your politics and your position is an idol in your life. We should never fear knowledge. We should never fear compassion. We should never fear understanding. So ask the questions, listen, learn, if you're scared to listen to the other side because you already know that you're 100% right and that they're 100% wrong, then your politics and your position is actually an idol in your life. 
See, we should never fear questions. We should never fear knowledge. We should never fear compassion. We should never fear understanding and gaining that by asking questions. So number one, listen. Number one, listen. There's this amazing organization that started in the aftermath of the 2016 election. And the organization is called MATA. Make America Dinner Again. And their website describes their purpose. In an attempt to build understanding and move forward together, we invite people to sit down and have dinner. There are many avenues to protest, to donate, to fight, and to be heard. Make America Dinner Again is an avenue to listen. These small dinners consist of respectful conversation, guided activities, and delicious food shared among six to 10 guests who have differing political viewpoints and our country's best interests at heart. And they just listen to one another. And they don't solve all the world's problems and they don't end up all agreeing, but at these dinners, enemies become friends and seeking to understand becomes compassion. It's beautiful. Make America dinner again. So we listen. And we don't just listen, we learn. That's number two, we learn. Once you start listening, learn something. Don't just, well, I'm not gonna think. No, no, learn, come on, we're better than that, we're Christians. Our faith is tethered to an event, the resurrection of Jesus. We don't need to be afraid of new information. We don't need to be afraid of new knowledge. We don't need to be afraid of new opinions. So be curious. Sam Harris once said, pay attention to the frontiers of your ignorance. And I love that. Pay attention to the frontiers of your ignorance. I have to tell myself this at times. Don't turn away. Don't refuse to read that book. Don't turn that off just because it disagrees with your worldview. Pay attention to the frontiers, to the front end of your, our own ignorance, the things that we don't know, the things that we don't understand. Be a student, not a critic. You're an amazing critic. Without one single lesson in being a critic, you're great at it. I'm great at it. We love it. We're amazing critics. I mean, just look at Facebook. Go to your Facebook. All of your aunts and uncles are professional critics. All of your old high school friends are all woke and they have all the answers to all the world's problems now. But could we pause and could we become a student instead of a critic? Otherwise, you're going to discount every bit of information. You're going to discount anything that doesn't fit currently in your flawed worldview. If you don't listen and if you don't learn, if we don't listen to each other, if we don't learn from each other, we will discount anything that doesn't fit perfectly in our very flawed worldview. We quit learning. And when we quit learning, something bad happens on the inside. We're better than that. Let me be a little bit more blunt. If you're a Democrat, your Republican brothers and sisters aren't crazy. They're not. If you're a Republican, your Democrat brothers and sisters are not crazy. Nobody's crazy. They just sit in a different place so they see the world in a different way. Have you ever thought or said out loud, 
I don't know how anybody could ever believe that. Or I don't know how anybody could ever support him or her. By saying that or thinking that, you yourself have acknowledged, you've confessed something about you, not about them. I don't know how anybody could believe that. Well then, you don't know something. You don't understand. So learn it. Ask questions. Seek to understand how someone could believe that. Rather than just staying in the, I don't understand, ask questions, read, seek out knowledge, seek understanding, because everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's response makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's viewpoint, everybody's politics, it all makes perfect sense to them. Otherwise, they would view it a different way. And when we don't understand, it's because we don't understand. That shouldn't be deep, but it is. When we don't understand, it's because we don't understand. In fact, if you're a Republican, you need to know that Democrats are just like you. And if you're a Democrat, you need to understand that Republicans are just like you. They're taking a stand based upon where they sit. Finally, love. Listen, learn, love. The moment you value winning an argument over a relationship, you have stopped listening, stopped learning, stopped loving. We must recognize that every person you ever rub shoulders with is a unique, complex galaxy unto themselves, created in the image of God. So humble yourself long enough to resist, assuming that you know what they're gonna say, and spend a few minutes asking honest questions, believing that you yourself have something to learn. Call this approach to living what you want, but Jesus calls it love. It may be impossible for you to understand how a Jesus follower could possibly have a different view on a specific issue than you have. You may not get there, but we can always love. That's what we should be known for. We should be known for, by our love. Jesus invites us into a more civil way of being than just the common hatred and vitriol we see and we get from the political left and from the political right, from the media on the left and from the media on the right. He calls us into love. And we need to be looking for an opportunity to love people who disagree with us. Oh, you don't know anyone who disagrees with you? Well, that is another confession. Uh, that needs to change. We should be rubbing elbows and shoulders. Maybe not in this season, with, but metaphorically, talking with one another, we should be able to be in relationship with people who disagree vehemently with what we may believe. And we, as Christ followers, have the great, beautiful, wonderful, life-giving opportunity to show them that we can disagree and still love unconditionally. I'll close with this. I heard a pastor uh, who was giving a sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And this pastor uh, was in his 80s and uh, preaching his heart out. And he told the story of when he was drafted to a war and he decided to be a conscientious objector because of his belief in the nonviolent acts of Jesus and the nonviolent teachings of Jesus. 
And in that time period, um, if you consciously object to the war and to using acts of violence, they would put you as an orderly at a mental health institution. And you would have to serve there. It was a, kind of a way of saying, oh, you don't like violence? Let's see how you don't like violence. Because one of the primary ways that you treated the mentally ill, as they acted violent to you, you acted violent to them. And you had to restrain them using violence. And they say, oh, you don't like violence? You, you're, you're a peacemaker? Okay, see how that conviction really lasts in a difficult setting like a mental health facility. And what happened? When these, when these peacemakers were placed in these mental health institutions and they refused to treat the patients with violence, they refused to, to, to show harm for harm, they began to transform the way the medical professionals treat the mentally ill they began to see progress in these mentally ill patients because of the love and the compassion and the sacrificial love showed by these conscientious objectors. So this pastor near the end of his race called life is teaching this sermon on uh, loving our enemies that we find in Jesus uh, teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he reads the passage that to love our enemies, that Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And he says, I just, I just think that when Jesus says to love our enemies, I think that means that we shouldn't hurt them. But I could be wrong. That's how he ended it. I could be wrong. Can you believe that? Here's a man who has lived his entire life, decade after decade after decade, living under the conviction of the nonviolent, peaceable kingdom that Jesus came to bring. And he has sacrificed so much because of it. He's given his life to this. And he ends his sermon with, I could be wrong. See, even the way in which he held his beliefs was nonviolent. He believed in nonviolence so much that even the way in which he held that conviction was itself nonviolent. As followers of Jesus, could the way in which we talk about politics be Christ-like? As followers of Jesus, sometimes, maybe even most of the time, how we talk about politics and how we believe about politics might be more important than what we say and what we believe about politics. Could the way in which we hold our political convictions be Christ-like? Could the way in which we enter into a conversation with someone about politics be Christ-like? That's what it's about. Can donkeys and elephants be friends? Can Democrats and Republicans be friends? And we say in Jesus' name, yes. It's all about love. The way in which we hold all of our convictions, especially our political convictions, should be Christ-like. So may we be salt and light in a political, divisive world in Jesus' name. God, we need your help in this. Draw us nearer to you and help us to love unconditionally, even though we may disagree politically. In your name. Amen.